The Psychedologist. You are listening to Consciousness Positive Radio. Welcome. Fox Geist is a medical device salesman from Renard, Arkansas. He lives a normal suburban life with his wife, two young children, and Zorro the cat. Fate brought us together while attending his first and only psychedelic science conference in 2016. As we stayed in touch over the next year, Fox insisted that I start my own podcast. He dusted off an old home recording hobby and handed me a microphone when we next met in person. Fox has been editing and producing the show since it began in 2017, and it really wouldn't be possible without him. So in this hundredth episode of The Psychedologist, Fox comes on the podcast to celebrate number 100. We talk about his experiences with psychedelics, and he shares his thoughts for any of the more straight-laced listeners who might be thinking of trying out journey work for themselves. We set the intention to do a thousand episodes of The Psychedologist, woof, and have Fox on as a guest for every 100th episode. And I just want to mention an extra caveat that after we finished the recording, we ended up going back and forth about how psychedelics aren't necessarily for everyone. And it's up to each individual to do your research and find out if it's a good fit for you. And then to go about it in the safest way possible. Just as psychedelics can call to us, there can also be a time when we feel the call to shift to using other tools. And that's great, too. So while in this episode, he provides some encouragement to folks who might be on the fence or nervous about trying psychedelics, we just want to say that your decisions are your own and we respect your decisions. Without further ado, enjoy this episode number 100, Fox Geist. Fox, welcome to the podcast. You're on The Psychedologist. I can't believe it. (laughs) (laughs) This is awesome. I mean, I think about 20 episodes in, I was like, I want to have Fox on for number 100. So this is like years and years in the making for me. and I'm just stoked. Well, most podcasts don't make it past seven. So the fact that we're at 100 is pretty amazing. There's a little pat on the back here. Any uh, wagers as to how many will get done in total? Like, what's the distance the psychologist can go? Uh, 932. <laughs> All right. I'm just going to say 1,000 because I want to be really extreme. God, I'm going to be like in my 60s. They won't have podcasts then. It'll be in VR. That's true. Yeah. Beamed right into the cranium. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for being here. I love it. This podcast is... Very interesting for me because you have a lot of people on who are, let's say, a lot farther to the left than I naturally am. And and it stretches me. It makes me sort of listen to topics like magic, for example, and consider it, put away doubt for a moment. And, you know, I learn new things. So, you know, it's been really um, interesting and outside the norm of my daily life to edit and produce this thing. So I enjoy it. Mm, that's great. Well, speaking of stretching, let's talk about your consciousness. Okay. What was, what was your relationship to consciousness as a child? Well, I am a child of the 80s, the 70s and the 80s, really. And 
we had the idea of hippies from the 70s, right? So we, we had a lot of that kind of culture and the idea of yoga and meditation was out there. It wasn't a mystery, but it didn't exist in my house. I, I do remember like there was this show Kung Fu. Did we talk about Kung Fu before? Not yet. Okay. So Kung Fu was this, I think it was actually from the seventies, but when I was watching TV as a kid, there were only three channels, right? So you watched a lot of reruns from the previous decade, but there was this guy, David Carradine, the white dude who played, um, I think he was a Chinese Kung Fu master that came to the old West. And so it was weird than a white guy playing a Chinese guy, but it was a lot of that ancient Asian wisdom would be doled out in each episode. And so I think I took on some of that. And there were a lot of shows and movies like that back then, right? Mm -hmm. um, I did grow up in the church, but I always found that to be like very formal and stodgy and kind of hard to believe or make actionable. So I just went because I was forced to go. <laughs> but I think I always had this kind of view into something else that started uh, like one of my earliest memories is this i called it a recurring nightmare i haven't had it in at least 30 years i think but i used to have it all the time growing up even into teenage years where i would just be asleep in this cave it was like a red dingy cave and um I would hear this sound that was like a dark magical chord that had some sort of meaning in it. And there'd be like this snap that you feel like when somebody breaks a stick underwater near you, you know, yeah. it sort of goes through your entire being. And then I would wake up terrified. I didn't know what it was, but I knew it meant something. <laughs> wow. So there was that. Uh, I used to just terrorize myself thinking about infinity. So I think that's pretty common with people. You know, I would just lay in there and say, okay, wait a minute. If I, if I went out into space and I went a little bit farther, well, wait, I could go a little bit farther after that. And then after that, and then I'm like, I would just drive myself insane. <laughs> and um, I remember having these full conversations, imagining like the 90 year old me talking to like the 12 year old me. And what kind of advice would he give and that sort of thing seemed very real. Do you have any examples? Not really. I remember it happened in church. They would always be sitting in the last pew in the church. And this old dude comes in and sits down next to me. And I don't realize it's me at first. And then, you know, basically it was enjoy your youth while you have it, that kind of thing. But just being aware that there was like me on a timeline, I think was the point of that from a consciousness perspective. And, and then I remember in school, uh, I sort of made up my own form of meditation, if you will. I remember we had these Walt Disney videos. They used to play them on the reel to reel. Actually, he was a reel to reel projector and, um, Jiminy cricket. Do you know that character? He, he, was, uh, he, he was a cricket. I only know him as an expletive. Well, he was a, a Walt Disney character. And I remember there was either an opening sequence of the credits or a closing sequence where he had a rag and he went through and kind of wiped away the screen and then it went to black and I think it said the end, right? Mm -hmm. And I took that idea and I applied it inside my own brain. I made this up completely, you know? So like when I was trying to go to sleep at night and I couldn't because I couldn't turn off all the thoughts, um, I would do this thing where I would relax each body part from my feet to my head. And then I would pull out the Gemini Cricket 
rag and sort of squeegee out the inside of my brain. And then I'd fall asleep. Wow, that is very creative. And then the last one is uh, when I got a little bit older. So I lived out in the middle of nowhere and I did redneck yoga in the gravel driveway. And then it occurred to me one day, you know, uh, there's nothing stopping me from just taking off all my clothes and going for a hike in the woods by my house. And I used to do it quite often. <laughs> Whoa. How old were you? I did that from probably 13 through 16 or 17, something like that. Wow. That is bold. But it was about like, you have this one way of living right now, this one reality, but there's a way to have a completely different experience, like just immediately. And as soon as you did that, everything feels different. There's a sense of almost like you're doing something wrong or fear or something like that. But it's just like you're in one consciousness and then you can do something to suddenly be in a completely different consciousness. Yeah. So that, those were like the kinds of things. But other than that, I mean, I was like very strict, you know, like very into math and science, very good student. I really didn't rebel much at all in I think from outwardly, everybody saw me as, uh, oh yeah, that, that kid's on the street narrow. And, and I didn't feel like I wasn't. <laughs> Little did they know you'd be the editor of a psychedelic podcast in the future. None of them would guess that. I guarantee you. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Yeah, being naked. I mean, that reminds me of episode... 80s or 90s somewhere with um, Shelby from Bay Staters and they talked about being naked as their consciousness hack and I really related to it. I don't know if I told this story. I'm, I probably did in that end of that episode but um, when I went to a nude beach for the first time in Latvia, I took off my bathing suit and I worked up the nerve to go in the water because I felt really embarrassed and uh, even though no one was looking at me. And then I finally got up the nerve. I was walking down to the water. I was waiting in. And then this family with like three little kids was coming out of the water. And I was like, oh my God, there's kids. Like, no, I've got to cover up. This is so inappropriate. And I was like, wait, no, no, it's not. It is not inappropriate. It's appropriate. We're all naked. It's okay. And just like, you know, how many conditions my mind had about like, you must not be naked. And that was my recurring dream as a kid, by the way, was I'd like wake up and I'd be naked at my desk and do I wait for the bell to ring and I leave with everybody else or do I try to sneak out? Everyone will see me and just feeling, yeah, really afraid of being seen. Most people have that in their underwear. You went all the way. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I didn't get to keep my underwear. Shoot. That's not fair. <laughs> Come on, Psyche. But yeah, I think um, I always enjoyed the arts, but I was more of a math science person growing up and there's a half of me or maybe more that is a very grounded in logic and these explorations in the last just four or five years i think uh in psychedelia for me are totally new yeah i kind of came to it later in life and i think that's one of the things that i hope to pass along to people listening here is you know if there are people who don't think of themselves as super hippy dippy and are skeptical about exploring these substances and realms. Um, hopefully, I can be a little inspirational. It's been good. It's been really good for me. What would you hope to inspire in those people, or you know, what what's been so meaningful about your journey? Well, I think 
inspirationally, it's first just getting over the hump and trying something, you know, kind of like uh, what you were feeling in Latvia, right? Like there's this stuff programmed into us about how bad these substances are and how bad a person you are. Well, you've talked about that, like even in your first experiences that resonated with me, right? Like that was exactly the same kind of feeling. You're doing something terrible here. And I think if you can get over that um, and then start to explore these, these things, um, these states of mind. So I like the sort of widespread collage of colors and like a new, a new sense of reality that you can explore and sense and that actually kind of sticks with you. But I also really like actionable things. And, and I think you and I've talked about this a lot in the past too. You know, I'm always very mission oriented and, you know, some things that truly are healing, you know, like, um, one of the biggest problems that I've always faced is, um, you know, I'm a introvert, uh, by nature, which nobody would believe in my normal life because I appear to be very extroverted. That just means it, you know, it drags a lot of energy out of me to be in social groups. And one thing that I found early on in psychedelia was it, it really made it clear to me that like I had this other program running in my mind. It's kind of like a little guy in the brain, like Ratatouille, uh, pulling on this lever and that knob and this rope you know, that was literally attached to things like this corner of my mouth must was lift to make a half smile because this other human just said this thing to me. And it was exhausting more so than just being um, introverted. I was also like putting a ton of brain energy into just making this facade that I, that I thought made me look like a real human in front of other people. And really the work with an underground therapist and some of these substances um, helped me to identify that, helped me to get past it. It didn't stop um, instantly after, you know, a trip, but over a period of a couple of years and a lot of different uh, kinds of work, I looked up one day and realized, oh, holy shit, I'm not doing that anymore. <laughs> can, can I cuss on here? I'm just yes. kidding. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> hmm. It makes me wonder when that guy pulling the levers came about do you remember a time before that i really don't i always felt like that i always felt like i was mimicking um other humans i mean partially it was because i was really smart and the town that i grew up in didn't uh, didn't reward that <laughs> so i was i was always on the outside because i was you know like the the super duper a student and um so I always felt like kind of the other because of that. And has that changed now that you don't do that anymore? Um, has what changed? Do you still feel like the other? I do, but less so, you know, like, okay, I'm, I'm 25% and I, where I was a hundred percent the other. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's, part of psychedelic culture in some sense is like we are others um i know that <laughs> when i see the students i went to grad school with and this one became a phd researcher and this one's doing therapy and i'm doing something so different uh in a sense i use my degree but actually there's times that i have to consciously remember 
not to use what I learned in my degree because it conflicts with what I know now from what I've studied in psychedelics and my own experiences and what feels like right and true. Um, for example, looking at someone as a cluster of symptoms and a diagnosis, it's very limiting, uh, I find, to do that. And um, really, I mean, they're showing that the DSM is more for insurance purposes and categorization than actual treatment. But that's a, a, um, a sweeping statement. Uh, anyway, just thinking about the other and I felt like an other as a child and a teenager. And yeah, I don't think I don't think it was as okay, the corner of my mouth must pick up. Like I think it came through naturally, but I also resonate with being inauthentic to get along. And and now I almost find more joy in my otherness. It's like it's not something I'm ashamed of. It's something that I have some pride in. But, you know, there are hard days with it, of course. Yeah, I mean, social awkwardness, social anxiety. I mean, that was my enti my entire life uh, up until about four years ago, like from earliest memories. Well, maybe I, I do remember a time as, as like I have an early memory at like three years old um, where I didn't have any of that. So somewhere between three and seven, I must have learned this or somehow it, it, it became part of who I am. But um, I guess I would say uh, my reaction to otherness now that's been healthy is not as much embracing it, but more just like not caring about it, like just letting go any care about it. I was at a birthday party, a big group birthday party um, a few weekends ago, and uh, it's what, you know, I always call elbows and assholes. I mean, it's just a room full of people <laughs> banging into <laughs> each other. And um, I remember standing there and just thinking, you know, just thinking for a second. Okay, so I'm standing there. There was a guy playing uh, a guitar and singing live, you know, live music, just a solo guy. And so the crowd had kind of moved out of one room into another to be, you know, to go listen to him sing "Happy Birthday" to the to the birthday girl. And um, so I left a little bit early, and I'm standing there, and um, there wasn't a group that had followed me right away, so there was nobody with me. And so I'm, you know, I asked the guy, "Hey." Uh, you know, any Bob Dylan songs because he looked just like Bob Dylan. And he says, yeah, look at me, you know, <laughs> and um, and then I stepped back and I just waited and I realized I, I don't feel a need to have someone around me talking to me right now. I just like almost kind of planted both feet in like almost that hero pose that people talk about, you know, my hands were at my sides. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I just stood there for a second. I'm like, I don't have to do anything or talk to anybody or feel anything right now. I could just wait for this guy to start singing. And like, that is all due to the work that I've been putting in over the last probably four years. I mean, that's amazing work and, and pretty remarkable that you could do that in a relatively short time, especially like four years. And, you know, you've been on earth for you know, however many decades already. Uh, you said you grew up in the 70s. So um, are there any particular journeys or moments from journeys that you want to share with the listeners? Mm. That is a good question. I went full psychedelic uh, at one point. Uh, so, you know, usually when you start learning about these uh these different substances, you know, you'll, you'll start with, uh, well, cannabis even, you know, I, to, for me, cannabis is 
just as psychedelic as anything. I have a very, very low tolerance. So, um, you know, I, I really don't see how people can function as, as daily weed smokers, pot doers. What do you, what do you call them? <laughs> pot doers. <laughs> um, like I, I, I like it. It's fun, but I can't imagine actually accomplishing anything afterwards because my tolerance is just so low. Um, I say that just in case there's others listening who are like, I'm not too sure about all these things, you know, like, you know, um, but yeah, I've explored MDMA and uh, LSD and mushrooms and DMT at this point. Um, But at some point, as you start to explore all those things, somebody starts whispering to you about ayahuasca and (laughs) When you start thinking about any of these things, it's interesting. I promise you that the universe will make them available to you in very weird ways. Like mm-hmm. it does just pop up at the right time when you start thinking about it. Um, so that happened for me and I was able to um, attend a ceremony with ayahuasca. And um, it was pretty brutal. I think I, I used this one as a cautionary tale because... Um, I think very rarely have any of these sessions been fully enjoyable. Like they always seem like a lot of work. Um, and in the case of ayahuasca, it's to the extreme. It was like, you know, running three or four marathons over a couple of days. But in the first session, um, I was expecting to, you know, experience oneness with the universe, a feeling of love and beauty just permeating everything. And instead, I... I, my internal brain, uh, not ayahuasca, this was clearly me speaking to myself, just berated me saying that I was uh, fucking worthless and a piece of shit and just on and on and on every derogatory statement that I could possibly make about myself. And I, you know, at volume, I mean, yeah, both kinds of volume, Pr- pretty loud in the brain, but also just constant and nonstop repetitive. And that seemed to go on forever and ever and ever. And um, and then uh, I did not purge, which is very common in that practice. So purging, either vomiting or uh, crap in your pants is uh, <laughs> considered, you know, getting rid of some of these bad feelings or spirits or things that are inside of you and can can truly be a purge in that way Uh, that didn't happen for me but i realized the second night when i did have the more pleasant experience that that was purging decades upon decades of internalized self-talk just in a slightly different kind of purge yeah i I probably would have preferred to shit myself to be honest (laughs) (laughs) yeah wow Mm. right like those nasty thoughts were leaving your body in some way like just running through your consciousness but um exiting right because you had some relief after that journey i did yeah and i i almost didn't stick around for that relief you know when i you know that starts at uh maybe at like nine o'clock at night it's certainly dark outside and goes all through the night you know maybe four or five hours like not sure i had a real handle on time but at some point you uh, you see the sun coming through the window and you realize it's morning, right? And and I was just praying for that to come so that I could uh, be mobile enough to grab my keys and get in my car and get the hell out of there. I was not going to stay for the second night. 
Uh, but I, but then, you know, through the day you talk to people, you hear, you know, people having similar kind of feelings and, you know, it's a very warm, welcoming group. And you, it reminds me a little bit like I imagine, you know, when one has their first baby, I really when a couple has their first baby, right? Like it's how, um, you don't sleep and you just feel like, oh, I, I'm never going to be able to do this. But then your brain has a way within about nine months of uh, making you forget that and you go through and have another baby. So that was kind of like the second night for me. <laughs> <laughs> what a comparison. As a person who thinks about having babies, sometimes that's <laughs> freaking me out a little bit because <laughs> I love to sleep. but. Yeah, I, you know, I think it's a, it's a, an important insight to confer, especially to people who are thinking about journeying and haven't done it, that um, those defenses of, you know, I'm going to leave or, um, you know, this is like, this is horrible. Like I've been paranoid multiple times, both in places where I probably should have been paranoid and also in like totally safe and, and, you know, like places with integrity, I've been like, this is a cult, this is wrong, um, I'm unsafe. And it's it can be hard to discern whether my feeling of I'm unsafe, I need to leave is truly about what's actually happening here or if it's about some past experience coming up being like kind of purged or brought to the surface in order to be healed or completed or something. Yeah, and that's something I'm really sensitive to as well. So uh, I, I will reveal that in my day job, I have a you know like public facing kind of sales role. So I spend a lot of time working with other people, oddly enough. And um, generally, I feel like there are, you know most rules don't apply to me just because of the kind of day job that I have. It, it forces me to uh, circumvent some social norms. So I'm good at that. And so I have a healthy disrespect for uh, structure and <laughs> hierarchy in general. Like that's yeah. just definitely at my core from my day job. Um, but what I see in so many different movements out there is something that scares the crap out of me is how quickly in any endeavor humans will form a hierarchy and create gurus and this power differential. That's one thing that I've heard over and over again in these podcasts too, which has been, you know, something for newbies to really watch out for is I think it's scary to think if you get in with the wrong group and you are not strong enough to resist this, that, you know, you could have a guru that's heading up one of these communities that, you know, really starts to believe, I mean, you're dealing with power and magic almost and, um, it's scary to think that somebody could take over your life. I mean, they do it uh, in things like Taekwondo clubs, right? Like I've heard these uh, podcasts about uh, one one Taekwondo uh, club that basically turned into a, a guru situation or cult. And uh, imagine how much easier that would be with mind-altering substances. So... Um, Luckily, I've, you know, I've been able to watch for that and I think I have a pretty good barometer for it. So um, I've been able to avoid it. But um, that is a worry out there in this psychedelic world, especially because it's all underground. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, the um, the amount of, you know, and, and there's like, it's easy to draw this 
polarity of like safe or unsafe. And so often it's in the gray area and what is safe for somebody might not be safe for someone else. And I think that's important to understand, um, particularly when there's a, a therapist is accused of abuse or harm and all the other people that they've sat for that loved their style and had a great experience with them say they would never do that, you know, but it's like someone could be treated differently and they could have a different experience. And, um, the same thing doesn't work for everyone. Yeah. I, I found myself with a very trustworthy ketamine facilitator recently, and I knew that she was trustworthy and I, it really allowed me to reckon with all of the parts in me that feel like I can't trust anyone because I knew, I knew that I could trust her. And I had to go through a lot of pain to, in, in feeling how I so wanted to trust her. And then these other parts weren't ready to, it was, it was sort of like standing on the edge of a cliff or something. And, but it's not really a cliff because I'm not going to fall. I'm going to, I'm going to be caught. It was like jumping and, and trusting that I would be caught. So yeah, I, I really hear you on that. I think the other thing I'd share, uh, just going back to your question about are there sessions that I, w that I would share with the public here that were particularly helpful? I think there's, um, there, there definitely are kind of two classes that I've experienced. You know, one is true talk therapy associated with it. So it helps to, you know, not be completely bonkers out of your mind. Like you actually have to be able to carry on a conversation. Um, you know, MDMA in particular, um, was great for that. I think MDMA also left a lasting, like this was my first trip ever actually it was MDMA. Uh, I know people say that's not technically a psychedelic, but that was my first exposure. It's a very easy way in, very kind, um, less likely to have a bad trip or a challenging trip. But the thing that it taught me that was so valuable to this day, I, I, re I refer back to this almost like Cliff's Notes, you know, is my internal chatter completely died. So my brain, just like when I was talking about, uh, you know, Jiminy Cricket, my, my meditation technique, I would use this rag to try to make all those thoughts go away just so I could fall the fuck asleep, right? Um, so that's, uh, this is always something bouncing around in my brain. And on MDMA, uh, that, complete silence was so refreshing and unusual but it's also something that now that i've experienced it i know what the baseline is i didn't i had no idea what that baseline might be. i can have you can't you can you cannot really imagine it until you've experienced it right and then now i can call on that if it helps in things like i do daily meditation today i do about you know 10 minutes a day been quite a while you've been keeping that up i have yeah so i've been doing that uh for about a year now very regularly i tried many times before and and by the way i'm i'm very like action oriented so like i look for a tool and i try it and if it doesn't work i move on to the next one so like i used headspace for a while which is you know a pretty good app that a lot of people can find on their phones and that's also anywhere from five to 20 minutes a day and uh, I used that for a while. It didn't stick with me that well. Uh, I really like Sam Harris. Uh, so he's got an app out and that's the one that has really held my attention the most. But um, I noticed that since I had that experience, 
it makes meditation a lot easier because you're getting to the same or similar place. Um, but knowing kind of what the, the target looks like makes it easier to get there. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, and I know that's, and I know that's totally, you know, the opposite of what you're supposed to do in meditation is have a target that you're shooting for. Um, huh. I wonder if that's a future frontier for you in your journey work. Like, what would it be like to not be action oriented? Like, is there some metal ch- mental chatter that's the action orientedness? And what is consciousness without that? Maybe with 5-MeO DMT, I'm like, I'm whew, that one synthetic because those toads are being hurt really badly and they're endangered. And synthetic felt exactly the same to me personally. But uh, yeah, it's curious. Like, hmm. What would your consciousness be like if there wasn't an action orientation? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's something I confront in most trips. You know, there's a point in the trip. Um, in fact, the last one I had, this this came up. Uh, uh, at the very beginning of the trip, I'm, you know, wrestling. My ego is wrestling with, uh, okay, are you doing it right? Um, have you accomplished enough yet? Are you going to accomplish enough? And what are you supposed to be doing right now? You know, in... I think, uh, you know, I've had a lot of training, uh, you know, from you and from this podcast, you know, this is something that you hear as a recurring theme, you know, go with it, go through it, uh, let it, let go, let go, um, be open, trust the process, trust the process, trust the fucking process, (laughs) just trust the process. (laughs) Yep. Trust the process. And so this last trip, I, uh, I had that that thought I was wrestling, my ego was wrestling, trying to make sure I was doing it right. And it's like, you don't have to do anything here. Just remember, you don't have to do anything here. And then I, you know, let go and kind of spread my arms out to the side and everything was fine at that point. Wow. But that's the two, those are the kind of two flavors, right? Is I would say if you're doing talk therapy mixed with it for me, you know, that's like, okay, we're actively doing, we're trying to uncover something. We're trying to find, you know, some root cause maybe, or at least bring to the surface, whatever might be the root underneath the root, you know? Uh, So there's all these things that are healthy to do. And that seems very action oriented, but then there's the other uh, side, which is, you know, people talk about this with um, ayahuasca. I didn't experience this really, but people talk about, oh yeah, the aliens come in and they rip your chest open and they just get in there and tinker around and they're, you know, well, we have to remove this, connect this to this. Oh, that's not where it's supposed to be. And you just let it happen. And when you wake up, you're healed, you know? So that's never happened, but there is an element of that, right? I think with each of these trips that is getting you towards a healthier state. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I like the image of a snow globe being shaken up and all the snow flies and then it kind of settles and falls, but maybe in a new pattern. And and that's, you know, the integration process is so important and it's such a potent time for that reason, because we are more malleable and open and it's good to have plenty of time after a journey to just be and and not have to snap back into being like the way one has to be for their job or for their family or whatever like the the longer we can stay away from that i think the more uh we stand to grow into 
who we can be, you know, instead of who the world needs us to be, like who our family, we think our family needs us to be or our job or something, which, uh, you know, may not be the most harmonious for anyone. Yeah. There's something I, I do have a regular therapist, you know, just normal talk therapy. Um, she doesn't give me mushrooms or anything, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, but one thing that I, she pointed out recently was some of the effect that you might be feeling is the break from your normal routine. And you get that in a pretty condensed format uh, with these substances. So you might get a similar experience just from going on a vacation somewhere, you know, and getting out of your normal life for a few days or maybe a week. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. That's so important. My mind just said, I can't do a thousand podcast episodes. I should have said 500. <laughs> <laughs> Well, now it's not. Now it's two thousand. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! I'll be doing them in hell. <laughs> yeah. Well. Well. It, yeah. It is important to get away and right. And you felt that at the birthday party. Like I don't need to be with anyone or talking to anyone. Like, mm, yeah. Hmm. So, uh, anything else that you want to say before I ask you about your consciousness hack? No, um, I'm just encouraging, uh, you know, you, you could be weird or you can be normal and straight laced and these things are open and useful to all. So I, I hope I can be that stand in for the straight edge person out there. That is so cool. Yeah. All right. So what do you do to hack your consciousness, Fox? Well, I do some of the normal things. So obviously the meditation we talked about, and I, I do dabble in cannabis occasionally. Uh, I have to figure out how to take a half of a hit off of a, a vape before <laughs> I go too far. So it's a little hard. Um, I found that cardio uh, really helps me kind of change a mood. It, when I say consciousness hack, it's usually because I'm in a bit of a, a pit and I'm trying to do something to change that experience and i found that like 45 minutes of or more of cardio for some reason that's the the magic number for me if i do 30 minutes it doesn't work but if it's 45 you know and it doesn't matter if it's strenuous or not it's just sure. a period of time uh that helps but the two i've got two interesting ones for you i think i get two right as the podcast editor uh, yeah <laughs> as many as you want okay so um this is another one that i uh, invented I was a little bit um, inspired by uh, Vem Hof. Have you heard about the Iceman? Mm -hmm. Yeah, but why don't you say for a minute just so people... So, so Vem Hof is this really crazy... Uh, he's from the Netherlands. He's a Dutch guy, right? He's, a, he's this crazy Dutch guy. I always thought he was French, but also I thought it was Wim Hof. So I'm going to defer to you. Yep. And uh, he has uh, this whole program around cold so he is known as the ice man because uh he'll swim you know under icebergs i guess or, um in you know, really frigid water he'll uh sit in the snow and meditate uh in just his shorts with no shirt on and it's um it's breathing techniques that i think are probably pretty similar to holistic breathing holotropic Ho holotropic yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah i think it's mm -hmm. it's probably similar to that yeah. um so uh, anyway, I 
started taking cold showers after learning a little bit about him. I haven't done his program yet. That's on my list of things to eventually get to. But um, so I'll take a cold shower. And I found that um, the method that I use is, uh, you know, I don't want to do it. Like I say, I want to do it. But then when I get to the shower, I'm like, hi, oh, you could just take a warm shower. It doesn't have to be cold, does it? And then, and then I get in and I'll start with it a little bit, you know, lukewarm. And then finally I'll just jam it all the way to the cold. Right. So I stand there, yeah. there's the shock of it. But in my mind, what I found is really interesting is I start thinking about the, the warm side only. I don't think about the cold side. So I imagine that there, that I, that it's, it's nighttime and I'm standing outside with my back to a raging uh, bonfire. Mm -hmm. So the part that's not getting the water is I'm imagining being heated up by, because it's a differential, right? So mm. the colder the front gets, the hotter the, the back can feel. And then I wait until I just can't stand my back being that hot. And then I have to spin around to cool it off. Whoa. So that's the trick that I, that's the thing that's going on in my mind. And I just do that over and over again. You know, wait for the backside to to get hot too hot and then i have to spin <laughs> and cool it off um wow and what i found is um there's a moment where not only does that it, that will definitely change your consciousness right yeah um but i also noticed like uh the sense of smell suddenly becomes really really acute mm. so there's like a sensory change that happens too um so if you are feeling really down or if I'm feeling really down or um, just in a bit of a pit or in a funk, um, and I just kind of force myself to do that. Um, I'm not saying I'm jumping for joy afterwards, but you know, I'm definitely not in the same pit. You know, it's like it changes. It's like a, a pattern interrupt. Would you go dunk in some freezing cold water with me sometime? I would definitely do that. Yeah. Yeah. I want to do that. Yeah. Awesome. Let's definitely do that. I love the cold water. For me, my hack with the cold water dunks is um, I want to embrace my death when I'm dying. This is like my big goal, a big goal of psychedelic journeying for me as well is just to, and Vipassana meditation, to be totally chill and alert to my death because I'm so interested in that. And so when I get into the cold water and every cell in my body is like, no, 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 no. You don't, and they're trying everything to tell me, don't do this, like, please. Uh, and I just, I know it's going to be fine. And I just calmly walk in and, and I just go. And, it, and my first ayahuasca journey ever, I couldn't drop in, like I couldn't let go. And I had drank like four cups of ayahuasca and I was still oh, wow. like holding on. Yeah. I'm like a heavy hitter here over here. I take a lot of psychedelics and they don't do to me what they do to other people. Um, but the facilitator said, it's just a little slide. She said, it's just a little slide. And I always think about that, like being a kid on top of a slide, you know, and as the parent, you're like, you know, you know, they're going to be okay. It's like, they just have to push off and slide down and it'll be fun. Like, it's just a little slide. So I think about that. And yeah, whenever I get out, it's like the best I've felt all day. It's such a rush. It is a consciousness shift for sure. Well, the last one I have is, uh, also a bit of a weird one, but um, on YouTube, I stumbled upon, there's there's all these uh, categories of videos and styles of videos, and I stumbled upon this uh, subgroup of videos, I call them giveaway videos, 
So uh, the best one that I'll reference is uh, That Was Epic. That's the name of the guy's channel. And a lot of them are people who do prank videos, but then they have this uh, sort of subgenre of giveaway. So like this guy will just go up and knock on people's doors and say, hey, uh, how much is your rent? And, you know, it's due today, right? And the person will say, you know, it's it's $700 a month. Why are you asking? And he's like, oh, well, it's because your rent's due end of the month, right? He's like, yeah. Yeah. And then he hands him $700. And then he moves on to the next house. And they just keep doing that over and over. Well, they're, you know, capturing uh, the reaction. So there's a bit of a, okay, it's almost like they're doing it for attention. So there's like the negative part of it. But I really like watching like that, uh, that reaction from people or some of them will be um like a waitress and they'll leave the two thousand dollar tip and they'll, mm-hmm. they'll get her reaction and then she'll say like oh you have no idea um you know i needed to buy shoes for my kid and i couldn't you know or something like that mm-hmm. and so there's just like unlimited variations of those but i'll find that like when i'm really in a bit of a depressive hole uh, and then nothing else is working i might just try that and i'll just watch those videos and um it's great you feel that human emotion you watch you know someone else being uplifted and you see another human helping that person do that so the whole thing it just you know kind of helps to lift you out of a hole that is so interesting thank you for sharing that (laughs) i think my mom's go-to videos for when she's in a hole are people slipping on ice nothing cracks her up like that (laughs) (laughs) oh Well, thank you very much, Fox, for all you've given to the show. I mean, there's no way it would have been possible without you. It's, you know, you make it just as possible as I do. And I just really appreciate all the time and and I appreciate you. Thank you so much. Well, I appreciate you. It's a love fest, Leah. (laughs) (laughs) It is. It is. Mm. Well, come back at number 200, hey? 200, 300, 400, all the way up to 900, yes. I'll be there. The Psychologist is Consciousness Positive Radio. Find us everywhere podcasts are hosted. For more information, visit us on Facebook or online at thepsychologist.com.